This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR. R-A-Z-O-R. Hello, hockey fans. I'm Paul Bruno here with Andrew Fiorentino, and we are The Great Ones, presented by Rotowire. Here we are on October the 4th, recording our third episode as we continue taking the first steps on our journey to help you collect fantasy hockey titles and win daily contests all season long. Today's show will focus on the Central Division, a grouping that I think will provide the closest race from top to bottom of all the divisions in the NHL. We may as well kick off the discussion with the defending cup champs from Chicago who took home their third cup win in the last six years and becoming the first dynasty of the salary cap era. Of course, they paid a heavy price for such success and watched some key pieces like Johnny Oduya, Brandon Saad, and Brad Richards move on to other clubs due to salary cap restraints. However, as we look at the forward complement, we still see the likes of Taves, Kane, Hossa at the core, and they added some intriguing pieces around them, didn't they, Andrew? They sure did. But, you know, after winning their second Stanley Cup in the last three years, we should be talking about this team as an emerging dynasty, but instead the offseason has been dominated by tabloid talk about Patrick Kane's latest legal issues. <laughs> you know, fortunately for fantasy owners, and, and I do own him in a dynasty league, it looks like Kane isn't going to be charged with a crime, hasn't been so far, and enters this season looking like a, a safe choice once again for fantasy owners. But I think the real question with Kane is, are we going to get a whole season out of him? He only played 61 games last year, 69 games the year before. So even though he's averaged more than a point per game over the last three years, he hasn't exceeded 70 points in any of those seasons. Well, that's enough about Kane. Let's talk about some other guys, because I have to say, I don't like what the Blackhawks did this offseason. I think the loss of Brandon Saad and Patrick Sharp are going to loom large on this team, and I especially don't understand dumping Saad for salary reasons 
and then committing more than $4 million a year to Artem Anisimov. I saw a lot of Anisimov as a Ranger. I've seen him in Columbus. He's not a top six player. He's a really good third line center, perfect in that role. But you put him up in that top six role, centering the second line, I think that he's misplaced there. They also have a couple of intriguing young forward talents in Tuvo Teravainen and Artem Panarin, though Panarin's a little banged up right now. They're expecting to rule these guys out too in their top six. And I think it's quite a gamble to put these two kids who have something like 38, 40 games of NHL experience between them in, uh, in top six roles for Stanley Cup champions. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you, Andrew. They're looking to me like they're reaching with Anisimov. He was certainly a pretty good forward in a deep mix in Columbus, but now they're pinning their hopes on him locking down that second line scoring role, and that's something that he might be in over his head there. Then, as you mentioned, Panarin is a new face coming in from the KHL, another one that they're pinning a lot of their hopes on for this season. So there's a few ifs among the forward complement that weren't there in previous years. I guess that's the price you pay for success, and we'll see how that pans out. But I think they're going to find a way to still remain one of the top teams in the entire NHL. A large part of that is due to the blue line as well. Why don't we take a look at that for a bit, where we see that they are spearheaded again by playoff MVP and perennial Norris trophy contender Duncan Keith. This guy's going to be in that Norris conversation again this season and should remain partnered with longtime teammate Brent Seabrook, who inked a new long-term pact recently, and that was one of the large reasons why they had to make some of these player moves. They, they wanted to keep some of their core guys as well. That cost money and really put them in a salary cap pinch. Beyond this top pairing, they brought in Trevor Daly in the Patrick Sharp deal. He will effectively replace Oduya on the second pairing with Nick Jalmerson, who had a strong playoff. He might actually work out to allow the Hawks to consider breaking up that top tandem. He's that good, in my opinion, and so that might give them a little bit of roster flexibility. Andrew, what are your thoughts about this blue line and the rest of any names that are worth mentioning back there? This is an interesting blue line core from a fantasy perspective. And it's mostly because of Duncan Keith, who's sort of an off-and-on fantasy stud. Keith is a great defenseman regardless of whether he's putting up points. But it seems like he either hits 60 points or he finishes with a disappointing season in the 40s where you can find a lot of guys who are going to be a lot cheaper in fantasy drafts than Duncan Keith. Then you've got Seabrook, a legit fantasy asset. I don't really know what to expect from Daly. He blew up for 16 goals in Dallas last year, but he was 30 years old. He's in a good position in Chicago now, but with a normalized shooting percentage, he probably falls back to single-digit goals there. One other guy I like there is David Rundblad. This is a guy who put up big numbers in Sweden before coming here, but he's just never showed those skills in America. He is just 24 years old, though, so there's some long-term appeal still there. But let's talk about the guys that are stopping pucks behind them, because Scott Darling really emerged last season, even for periods of time, overtaking Corey Crawford, pushing Auntie Ranta out of town, where he's now gone to my rangers of course uh, <laughs> you had yeah. to get that in <laughs> oh uh, that's the second rangers reference and it won't be the last <laughs> we should have a drinking game for that for our listeners <laughs> <laughs> still coming off the stanley cup not to mention 924 save percentage last year i have to think crawford's mostly going to hold on to that number one role and start between 55 and 60 games as usual you with me on that? Yeah, I don't think you can turn your back on a guy who's backstopped two Stanley Cups. Say what you want about what's in front of him, but he certainly delivered the goods when it counted. And I think that you can pencil him in for a 60-game season as well in terms of the number of appearances that I see in this split. And he'll need to be a little bit better, though, because I think the team in front of him is a little bit weaker, as we both can attest, given this rundown. Let's move on to the Colorado Avalanche, a team that's been up and down over the last two years more than any team in the league almost under the direction of 
Patrick Waugh. Andrew, this team threw me a curveball when I consider that they moved Ryan O'Reilly over to the Buffalo Sabres to undo a logjam at their center position where they can still choose from Matt Duchesne and Nate McKinnon as the number one and number two guys. But then they went ahead and acquired another center, Carl Soderberg, in a deal with the Bruins. Now, to me, that hints strongly that a move for McKinnon to a wing position, giving Soderberg a second-line center role where he can display his untapped passing skills, surrounded by a bevy of talented wingers that also includes Landeskog, Iginla, and Tangay. Andrew, what's your read on this forward mix? I really want to know what you think of the Soderberg deal with an annual cap hit of $4.75 million for each of the five years coming up. Is that a good signing, in your opinion, given what they have on the rest of the roster? It's a steep price for Soderberg, but I think he was underutilized in Boston, and he's going to be in a better situation with the Avs, where it looks right now like he's going to center his countrymen Gabriel Landeskog and McKinnon which is an enviable situation in what should be a, a bounce-back year for those guys. It seems like Miko Rantanen, their first-round pick and the number one European prospect in this year's draft, according to Central Scouting, is going to make this team too. But he's starting on the third line, I think, moderate your expectations there. That said, he's a big kid whose game is not dissimilar to Landis Cox, and I'll be watching him to see how he comes along in the early weeks of the season. They still got Jerome McGinley here. He's 38 years old, but he hasn't lost a lot of his own luster. There's 60-ish points to be had there again, and you can get him later than you ought to be able to, considering his name, because people are sort of shying away from that old age, I think. But I really think this team really goes only as far as the trio of Duchesne, McKinnon, and Landis Cog takes them. If those guys aren't able to take steps forward from what they did last year, the Avs are not going to score enough. Let's move over to Blue Line, which is... Mostly not a place I'm looking for fantasy value. As far as I'm concerned, there's one guy to target here, and that's Tyson Barry. Barry may be a little guy, relatively speaking, but he's established himself as an offensive force over the last two seasons, especially on the power play, and I'm looking for his role to continue growing in his age 24 season. Eric Johnson, also former number one pick, a late draft filler option who will probably get you 30-40 points, but I don't really don't see anything beyond that for this season's fantasy purposes. How about you, Paul? Well, I look back to the last season for Eric Johnson. He played only 47 games, Andrew, and in those 47 games, he did notch 12 goals, which if you prorate that over an entire season, that puts him in Oliver ekman Larson territory for goal scoring. I'm not saying here's a 20-goal guy on the defense, but I expect more from him offensively than you're projecting. Maybe close to 45 points is what I'm looking at. But beyond that, you're right. This is a pretty thin blue line. I wonder if they're going to get see some of the development out of Nikita Zadorov. We have been waiting for for since he was drafted. He's 20 years old, and I think he's going to get a real good look as a top four guy on this blue line and should be a third scoring option that it may be worth monitoring, particularly if Eric Johnson can't stay healthier than he was last season. The goaltending situation here, to me, is a bit of a two-headed monster. It's Semyon Varlamov, who's had his share of off-ice troubles in the last couple of years. I'm looking for a little more stability from him and a guy who has the potential to play 60-plus games if he stays healthy. But even that's been a bit of a question mark in his past. So Red O'Bara is a guy that will get a look and maybe play a string of games at some point. So don't be hesitant to take a shot at him if Varlamov is shut down by injury or other issues. We have to keep that in the back of our mind. Some guys are just uh, prone to having trouble follow them, and I see Semyon Varlamov in that kind of a light. It's kind of a rare fantasy point, but I, I think it bears making it with a guy like this. So Bera, his status is is something that should be monitored. He's another big-body goalie, a 6'4", 210. The new breed of goalie seems, Andrew, to be along this line in terms of size. So keep an eye on him, and don't forget about 
Calvin Picard, I guess, is worth mentioning. What do you think of the trio yourself? Yeah, I think health is really the key for Varlamov. Barra is a solid backup, but not a guy you want starting too many games, I think. If he has to start too many games, it's really going to hurt this team. But they do have that high upside guy that you mentioned, Calvin Pickard, waiting in the AHL. I think he's a guy should definitely be targeted in keeper formats. He looks like a really great long-term goaltending candidate. Let's proceed to the Dallas Stars, who brought in the aforementioned Patrick Sharp from the Blackhawks, and are putting him on a murderer's row of a top line with Tyler Sagan and last year's Art Ross winner, Jamie Benn. That's a forward mix I really like. And the second line, too, has plenty of fantasy appeal. You've got the ever-reliable Jason Spezza centering the up-and-coming Valeri Nishushkin. I think they're going to need to find a more interesting right wing for that trio than Alish Hemsky. He seems to be fading hard in his 30s. I really like the tough Frenchman, Antoine Roussel, a mainstay of some of my fantasy teams in recent years. And the combination of scoring ability and toughness he brings to the third line really plays in a lot of fantasy formats especially if he keeps playing alongside Cody Eakin, the reliable puck distributor at center, but kind of stuck in that third-line role with Sagan slash Ben and Spezza occupying those top two center positions. So where are you looking for fantasy value here, Paul? Well, I'd like to talk a little bit about Nichushkin. This guy, a year ago at this time, was very highly touted. He was the guy that was penciled in as the number one line uh, right wing. And, and at 20 years old, he's got to reload after a being decimated by injury last season, but he projects to be a solid scoring option among the forward complement, and you got to keep an eye on that situation just to see who it is on that first line. This guy's totals could explode if he gets that shot, in my opinion. I, like you, though, see that they're missing a link to complete the top six because Antoine Roussel, while he gets you all these pims, he's nothing more than a 15-goal shooter, and you can say the same thing for Colton Sevier, and Brett Ritchie, one of these guys needs to emerge or maybe they're trading down the line to get that extra piece. So that's a pretty good compliment, though. Five of the six scoring line positions are spoken for clearly, and if you can get the right guy for the sixth spot, it could be a bonanza for you. Looking at their blue line, we already touched on Daly's departure. Johnny Oduya came the other way over in free agency from the Hawks, but he slides down this depth chart. I don't see him as the scoring option to fill Daly's shoes. The primary scoring roles on the blue line are going to go to a trio of guys, Klingberg, Demers, and Goligoski. They are going to take turns running things. I think Klingberg is at the head of the pack and has a chance to really have a breakout season. If he gets the power play quarterback role, his scoring totals could top the 50-point mark this season. I think the other two guys are a little less likely to reach that plateau if I had to bet on the order of the, this trio. Beyond that, I don't see a lot of depth on this blue line. Andrew, do you agree with my assessment, and who else are you looking for back there? Well, Klingberg looked like the second coming of Brian Leach. Third reference. See? Yeah. <laughs> Told you I'd find a way to work another Ranger in there. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't see a lot else to like here from a Dallas team that looks like it's going to generate most of its offense from the forward positions. I'm not a big Goligoski guy. I'm not a big Demers guy. The rest of them have basically no offensive pedigree. But what do you make of the goalie situation here? Well, to me, that's a real head-scratcher. I mean, they already had Kari Letton in here who was... Uh, former first-round draft pick. He was holding down the fort as the number one guy for the last several years, but his role has definitely challenged and maybe lost outright with the arrival of Antiniemi, a 32-year-old. Leitonen is 31. These guys, uh, both first-line, first-string goalie options if they were on separate teams. But when you got a duo like this on the same club, that kind of splits the category and maybe takes them both out of the top 10 in the league until somebody emerges. 
and that could be a real hit for anybody that drafts these guys in fantasy. Beyond that, I think it's a very strong-looking team. If they can sort out their defense, I think they'll be one of the top contenders in the West. There, I leaked it out early. <laughs> uh, up next, the Minnesota Wild, a team which has quietly amassed an impressive amount of talent to do battle in this tough conference with the big boys. We all know about Zach Parise, a top forward option in fantasy for years, but he has lots of quality company all of a sudden on the top two scoring lines. Michael Granlin formed a very good chemistry with Parise, an underrated steady veteran. Jason Palmaville's a guy that you can wind up and plug in for 55 to 60 points this season, I think, on a scoring line that should stay intact all season long as long as they're healthy. Then it gets a little interesting. The enigmatic Thomas Vanek is a guy who I wouldn't touch in fantasy. He wound up in the third line because of the emergence of Nino Niederreiter and Jason Zucker before his regular season was cut short by injury. They have a couple of other players around whom a third scoring line can be built out of. Andrew, I think they've got a lot of options up front. How do you see it playing out? Well, they've got Justin Fontaine out a couple weeks with a knee injury. I think they're going to miss his surprising offensive contributions from the bottom six. But he's only a deep league sort of fantasy consideration. I really like Charlie Coyle having a strong preseason so far. He looks set for a full-on breakout this year. He might start out on the third line, but they're going to end up finding a place for him to move up. And I think there clearly is room for guys to move up on this team. He's a big, strong guy, Coyle is, with great skills on the offensive end. I'd like to see him shoot a little more. And Zucker's another one who I've long considered one of my guys, so to speak. I'm looking forward to a full season from him. And I have to say, I really love this defensive core. I think it's stacked from top to bottom. Fantasy owners, you're best served bypassing the big name. Ryan Suter is the biggest name among these guys, but maybe not the biggest offensive contributor. you got to go after some of these younger guys. You've got rookie Mike Riley, a Hobie Baker finalist last year, more than a point per game in college from the blue line. And what I think is just a spectacularly promising Matt Dumba, who I'm targeting everywhere this year and have been miserable to see, get snaked for me in a couple of drafts. <laughs> it doesn't end there, with Jonas Brodin, Jared Spurgeon, Marco Scandella all looking like fantasy assets to varying degrees. I think if you want to find this year's version of the scoring breakout we saw from the Calgary Flames blue line last year, this is where you're going to find it. But if you had to pick just one of these guys, Paul, just one, which one would it be? I bet Matt Dunba in a heartbeat. This guy is a guy they've been touting as a power play quarterback for the last latter part of last season. I think he took on that role in uh, a lot of different circumstances, and I see an offensive breakout if he can get that gig right off the bat this year. Marco Scandella is a very underrated secondary option on the blue line with a big shot, good history behind him in terms of steady point scoring, and he'll be a minute eater on the regular shift, getting upwards of 22 minutes a game, I think, this year. So... I think they do have a number of options on that blue line, and you can't go wrong with any of them. But if I had to pick one, it'd be Matt Dunba. And uh, in behind them, Devin Dubnik really emerged after escaping a pair of dreadful situations in his recent past, first in Edmonton and last year in Arizona, where his stats line showed that he performed heroically at times when you look at the save percentage and the shots that he faced. To me, his performance in many was not a total surprise, though, because they have a much better defensive structure here, and he certainly benefited. His goals against average won't be under two, like last season. Spectacular 178. That's a once-in-a-generation kind of a thing for any goalie that you can think of. Andrew, do you agree with my assessment of Dubnik, and what about his backup? I'm with you. I think Dubnik will be a legit fantasy netminder, but not the dreamboat that he was down the stretch last year. As for the backup situation... You're looking at Darcy Kemper here. Nicholas Backstrom, 
I don't know. Do you think that Nicholas Backstrom is going to play another NHL game? Gee, it's hit and miss with that guy. If you've got to rely on picking him, you're in dire straits in goaltending, I would say. Yeah, you don't <laughs> want to get into that situation. <laughs> Let's move on okay. to, the, to the land of Honky Tonk and the Nashville Predators. <laughs> All right. A team that doesn't have a lot of new faces in the mix this year. They've got Cody Hodgson. They brought him in after he washed out of Buffalo, which I think is a good cheap upside play. And it's looking like Victor Arvidsson... Uh, rookie is going to make the team in the bottom six after having a really good year in the AHL last season. I'm hopeful that Arvidsson actually is going to see his role increase as the season goes on. He's a little guy, but he's got a lot of skill, and they really like him in Nashville. Otherwise, Paul, I'm going to leave it to you to bring up the usual suspects here for the Preds. Well, they raced out, and surprisingly, they battled for the top rung in this division last season because they iced a very deep and balanced roster game in and game out up front. We saw the emergence of Philip Forsberg. He turned in a breakthrough season with 63 points. Looks like a real game-breaker to me. He outshone uh, sniper James Neal, who was supposed to be the club's top marksman, but tallied only 23 goals and 37 points in 67 games played. These two natural goal scorers should combine for at least 60 goals this season, and they have support from veterans like Mike Ribeiro and the gritty Mike Fisher, who are both very good puck distributors. Alongside them, veteran wingers Craig Smith and Colin Wilson will once again be good late-round fantasy drafts who would be no worse than second-liners here and should each approach the 20-goal and 40-point mark like they do seem to do every season in the last couple. I'm a bit concerned, though, about the aging centers Ribeiro and Fisher. Andrew, can Cody Hodgson push for top six minutes? And what other comments do you have about these forwards? They're going to have to move Hodgson off the center position to bring him into the top six. And I just think they're going to have a hard time doing that because this isn't the team that's necessarily swimming in center depth. Hodgson will have to really look like the number 10 overall pick that he once was for that to materialize. But let's shift over to this decor because it's stacked with talent. You've got the top pairing, which looks like a near lock for 100 combined points. But my real favorite here is Ryan Ellis, the undersized but superbly skilled 24-year-old who should continue to see his role increase this year. I think we're going to see a big breakout from Ellis this year, unless, that is, 21-year-old Seth Jones can overtake him as the number two right defenseman. Love to hear your thoughts on Jones, who's definitely more your type of player size-wise, and of course his great pedigree, versus Ellis. Well, let's talk about Jones right off the bat. This guy's got the size and skill that you rarely find that combination in a young defenseman, and he seems to have come along the learning curve in a big, big way. Everybody in his draft year was surprised that he even dropped down from the top position in the entire draft. Some people say that that was a mistake and that Nashville's lucky to get him, but this has been a defenseman factory for a long time, and he's going to benefit from the fact that they play a defensive structure. He's already got the offensive upside, we know. If he puts it all together... This guy could be a formidable guy for the next 10 years on this blue line. But uh, back to Weber and Yossi for a sec. They're, I think, the new top pairing in the National Hockey League among all rear guards. They're both elite offensive defensemen, power play studs, and equally adept in their own end of the ice. Seth Jones, like I said, he's an up-and-comer who could just be almost that good very soon. You mentioned Ryan Ellis, a very solid veteran who rounds out a fantastic top four. Matthias Ekholm has some offensive upside as well and a nice all-around game. And then they brought in Barrett Jackman, who can be a guy who will play a lot of the penalty-killing minutes, taking the load off of the top pairing in that regard, I think. That's a key factor as well. In goal, the beneficiary of all this wonderful stout defense is Pekka Rinning, a league MVP runner-up last year, and full value for that. Fantasy players have relied on him as a top-notch goalie option. And if he stays healthy, he should top the 70-game 
mark in terms of appearances. Carter Hutton, this guy's going to get the best seat in the house picking splinters out of his uniform while he's on the bench as a backup here. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't think there's any more you can add on that goalie pairing. Let's go slide by that right now and turn to the St. Louis Blues. Mr. Fiorentino, what about their deep forward compliment? This is a star-driven league, the NHL, and the Blues have one of the most exciting young stars coming up in front in Vladimir Tarasenko, who should already be considered a top 10, if not top 5 forward in the league, with the best yet to come. But I'm an almost equally big fan of Jaden Schwartz, who in many ways, uh, besides that he doesn't play center, reminds me of a young Pavel Datsuk. They share not just the same, a very similar size and shape, but also an extraordinarily high hockey IQ, great speed, terrific defensive skills and the willingness to get back there on defense and the ability to stick handle and put the puck in the net. I'm going to go on the record saying that health permitting, Jaden Schwartz is a future Hall of Famer. Wow. How's that for a prediction? Are you related? <laughs> <laughs> no, even though he sounds Jewish, I don't think he is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but there are plenty of other names to mention here, including David Backus, who I think offers one of the most underrated fantasy-friendly stat lines around. But I'll bounce things back to you, Paul, for your read on the guys I mentioned and the rest of this St. Louis Ford group. You mentioned a bunch of names here that make this team one of the most fun teams to watch for me. Tarasenko hit the jackpot at the pay window following his breakout season, but I don't think his center, Yori Letera, got his due. This tandem will be paired together again from the outset, and that should mean solid numbers for the Finnish center, assuming he can stay healthy. You mentioned Jaden Swartz. He rounds out that top line and could be a draft day steal for anybody that underrates him in pools. Paul Stastny is an interesting name because he's one of the guys that also is getting big bucks. He's vowed to be much better than the 46 points he got last season. He can be, and he needs to be, to justify that $7 million annual cap hit. I see him with 60-plus points this year, and he'll be supported by the likes of Alex Steen and the aforementioned David Backus. That's a guy that I love in fantasy. He's another guy that can score big. He'll play the power play and get the pims that uh, make him the all-around guy that I salivate over at the draft table. But they added Troy Brower also. This guy is going to see his role diminish from what it was in Washington. He had a lot of first-line minutes that inflated his scoring totals because he got to play with that Ovi-Backstrom combination. I think his uh, scoring totals are going to take a hit in mostly a third-line role here. How do you see the top line shaking out there, Andrew? I think you've got a pretty relatively clear sort of situation here with Schwartz, Laterra, and Tarasenko, and then Steen, Stasny, Bacchus. Brower is definitely a third-line type of guy, a guy who, who certainly played big minutes at times in Washington, but is more of a depth player, I think, a guy you don't want to necessarily be featuring on offense, even though he can score 20 goals if called upon. Yeah, he's a nice insurance policy, I will say. Yeah. The Blues defense is another deep group like a couple that we've focused on in this division. That's what makes it make it so much fun to watch. Shattenkirk and Pietrangelo should both be among lead-leading scorers for defensemen, in my opinion. Gunderson and Boomeister, these guys are both going to be riding shotgun in each of those pairings in top four minutes, but neither one of them a big point guy. I think the scoring is going to be handled by the first pair, the defensive responsibility by the second pair in those matchups on the top two defense pairings. The goalie tandem of Brian Elliott and Jake Allen has no clear front runner, in my opinion, uh, Andrew, though Elliott did play a bit more than Allen last season. I see that split as fairly even once again, and that could be a bit of a problem at the draft table if you're looking for who's going to be the go-ahead guy or go-to guy in this tandem. Allen may get more of a share, but marginally so, in my opinion. Your thoughts on the goalie split, Andrew? I think you're right on that. There's no clear front runner necessarily right now, but I think you look at Allen... 
The Blues have never been shy about demoting Elliott to a backup role, and it was Allen who occupied them then in every game of their first-round loss uh, at the hands of the Wild in last year's playoffs. I think we're going to see Allen take a, a, a little bit of a narrow majority of the starts in the range of 48 to 50. Fair enough? Sure, let's go with that. And uh, that, that kind of takes us to the last team in this uh, look at this division, the Winnipeg Jets. This is a team, you've got to mention a fan base of this club, Andrew. Every time I watch a home game in Winnipeg, the crowd is w- going wild, and that's even just before the game starts. They come fired up been starved for the return of this franchise and they're not going to let it go i think they've shown the nhl this is a hockey hotbed and and i'm happy to see it uh they the crowd they love the big physical players here and forwards like andrew ladd and blake wheeler really carry the flag they lead the way with their hard driving grinding style which should get them beat each around the 60 point mark they're two guys that i look for when the draft gets past the second or third round as guys that that can get that share of points on a regular basis they're in a good situation because they're both going to be playing power play time there. Beyond them, I'm looking for a breakout season from Mark Shifley, another talented big man who's in his third year and should be ready for a larger impact. Your thoughts on these guys and other Jets forwards, Andrew? Well, we all know we're going to get veteran grit and skill from the likes of Brian Little, Ladd, and Wheeler. I'd like to focus on the young guys up front here for the Jets. You touched on Shifley, who I also have as a breakout candidate. You had to love the strides he made last year, and at just 22 years old, he's this team's unquestioned second-line center. Big things are coming. But at 19 years old, Nikolai Ehlers, widely considered the NHL's top prospect not named McDavid or Eichel, was huge in juniors last year. This guy averaged almost two points per game in the regular season, and then he actually raised that scoring rate in the playoffs. I always look at those playoff performances in juniors, the AHL, as an indicator of future NHL success. Those are the games where you're really matching up against the top talent in the league. You know, a lot of guys who are going to play in the NHL. So it looks to me like Ehlers is poised to break in this year right out of camp with the Jets. And he's going to start on the third line, but he's a guy who has it in him to move up. And that sort of brings us to one veteran that I want to talk about, and that's Drew Stafford. The Jets have Stafford penciled in there as a top six player, but... To my eye, he's the one guy who's most at risk of losing his job so that Ehlers can slide up into that role. You know, Stafford did look like a new man after escaping the doldrums of Buffalo last year, mm-hmm. but do you think that we can expect that to continue? After all, I mean, we've rarely seen him show the sort of scoring rate that he showed in his 26 games as a Jet last year. Well, and that's going to be threatened by another guy that we should touch on, and that's Alex Burmistrov. At 23 years old, he's a guy that there's a lot of expectations on. He's coming back to the NHL from the, the KHL, and he has already caught the eye of Paul Maurice, the, the Jets coach, as a guy who's been flying in the exhibitions, and he'll get a long look and maybe challenge for a top-six role here. So the Jets do have more options than a lot of teams do to put out some quality and quantity among their top six forwards and Burmistrov I think will be in that mix it's another team here Andrew this is another team that's loaded with a few offensive options from the blue line that bear discussion in my opinion I look for Tyler Myers to take a big step forward and possibly look like the guy who dominated the NHL as a rookie in Buffalo he's wallowed in misery with the Sabres dreadful situation over the last few years and really started to show some fire in his game when he came over from the Sabres in that trade and looks like he's found a new home in, in Winnipeg. And I think he's going to be their go-to guy on this blue line in the power play situations as well. But a guy who's going to challenge him for that role is Jacob Truba. This guy's got a wonderful shot, a great hockey IQ, like you mentioned, and a very smooth skater. I think between the two of them, they're going to push Tob- Tobias Enstrom down the depth chart. Enstrom was a guy who had 
that primary role on the power play. So he might take a hit for his offensive numbers, but still should be in the, in the top two pairings. Ben Sherratt was a guy who looked good at times as well, but I want to talk about the elephant in the room for a second, Dustin Bufflin. This guy has been had, had a checkered past in the last few months with within the Winnipeg structure, and I just wonder if he is uh, going to be worth the trouble to manage uh, off the ice as well as on the ice. And is he focused enough to be a part of things here, or should they get rid of him? What's your sense there? Well, it is a contract year for Bufflin. They've been talking but not really seemingly getting very far so far in those contract talks. It seems like something that's going to drag into the season. And I don't know if he's the kind of guy who's going to be distracted by that sort of talk. I would actually anticipate that Bufflin comes out and puts up big points, you know, playing for that contract. But he's had his name bandied about in trade talks lately. I wouldn't want to bet against a Bufflin blockbuster. Myers, you mentioned an intriguing one. Like Stafford, a guy who was resurrected by that trade from Buffalo to Winnipeg last year pretty much turned his game around in, in every statistical way. And as for Truba, I think he's not getting his due, except from you. Clearly, you like Truba I more, do. Than, I like more than most. I like him a lot. Uh, and I like him a lot, too. But the problem that he's had the last two years, he's been hurt both years. I think he only played, I think he's played exactly 61 games each of the last two years. But he's going to play serious minutes here on an up-and-coming team. If he can stay healthy, I think 10 goals and 40 points very much within the area of achievability for Jacob Truba. You want to talk about the goalies here and kick us off on some goalie talk? Sure. This is a very interesting situation. I think they've got a guy who's been around for a while, Andrich Pavlik. He's been a workhorse here for the last several years. But last year we saw the emergence of Michael Hutchison to make this another situation where neither goalie, I think, is going to play more than 50 go- games this year. I see Pavlik getting the lion's share. Maybe he'll get 48 and then uh, Hutchison 34 starts. Something like that is what I anticipate. What's your slant here? I think you're right about there. You know, Pavilic was he was a surprise last year for large stretches of time. He really found his game, even though he had he had for a period lost his job to Hutchinson, then he took it back and ultimately put up the best season of his career. Still, I, I do have a hard time believing that he's really that guy of a two point two eight goals against and nine twenty save percentage. I do like Hutchinson, so do the Jets. But I think we're looking at about a fifty thirty start advantage for Pavelic, which is pretty much what you outlined there. That leaves both goalies with some fantasy relevance, but not fantasy studs, certainly, depending on your format. Exactly. Well, Andrew, that takes us to prediction time. And I look at the standings like this. I'm going to give Nashville the nod as the number one team in this division. And I'm looking at Dallas to be the surprise team in this division. I picked them for second place. I like the way this team has been built in the last couple of off-seasons. Jim Nill has made some blockbuster trades and smart free agent acquisitions to bolster the offense and the net mining situation. I think they've got a lot of depth everywhere to be a number two team, and they'll hold off Chicago in a narrow race for the second place spot. The St. Louis Blues, how do you pick a team like St. Louis fourth? We already said off the top, this is the toughest division in the conference, and this is the primary indicator why. Colorado, Minnesota, and Winnipeg are also very good teams. It's a shame that any of them is going to have fifth, sixth, or seventh linked to them when you see some of the other teams in other divisions who are way poorer and maybe higher standing, but this is a tough set. And that's the way I see it playing out. What about you, Andrew? We've definitely got some variance here because you ask how you can pick the St. Louis Blues for fourth place. I ask the same question because I'm picking them to finish first in this division. Okay, so maybe that's worth a buck. <laughs> yeah, and one buck, what's the bet? Well, loser buys the winner a Starbucks. How about that? Let's make it interesting. 
<laughs> but what happens if they finish second or third? We got to really get the terms of this bet okay. straight. Okay, we might have to think about that off the air then. That might be a complicated. <laughs> maybe future considerations are at stake. Total points. <laughs> talk points. Yeah, sure. <laughs> what about the rest of the? What about the rest of the division? How do you see it playing out? After the Blues, I've got Nashville in second place, so we both do like them. Yeah. Blackhawks coming in third, we share that. Mm -hmm. I've got Dallas in fourth, they're going to just a little bit behind the Blackhawks. Mm -hmm. Winnipeg fifth, then Minnesota, then Colorado. And honestly, it's not taking anything away from any of these teams. This, as you said, the strongest division in hockey, I think, altogether. Yeah, I would tend to agree. And that about does it for the preview show number three, Andrew, in the books now. This is Paul Bruno. On behalf of my co-host, Andrew Fiorentino, we invite you to circle back and join us on our next show for our preview of the NHL-specific division. So long for the great ones. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R.